challenges, sometimes life is just downright heartbreaking. You still give us reasons to praise you and to thank you and to trust you. And Lord, today as we open scripture together, I pray that you will fill our hearts with gratitude as we look at what you've done through Jesus, as we look at what you've done through our lives. Lord, fill our hearts with gratitude that not just is welling up just because this is Thanksgiving week, but that wells up to really be a characteristic of our entire lives for every day from here on out as long as we are on this earth. We look forward, Lord, to that day when we are in heaven with you where we no longer have to face the trials of this broken world. Lord, we know that will be a place of tremendous joy and gratitude, but between now and then, we do thank you that you give us reasons to rejoice and be thankful as well. So open our eyes to those things this morning, Lord, as we open Scripture together. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I have a question for you just to ponder in your own minds. Where do you think you would be right now if Jesus was not a part of your life? Where would you be right now if Jesus was not a part of your life? Now, some of you might be thinking, well, I know exactly where I'd be. I'd still be at home right now, asleep in my bed. Or I'd be watching Packers pregame right now. Now, I'm not talking in this question about where exactly would you be physically right at this very moment, although I promise I would not be here at church either if Jesus wasn't a part of my life. What I'm talking about is more broad. When we look at the scope of our lives, look at all different aspects of our lives, where would we be? For instance, in your relationships, if Jesus was not a part of your life, would you still treat people the same way as you do now? If Jesus wasn't a part of your life, would you have the same set of friends that you currently have? Or how about in terms of our attitude? Has Jesus given you a greater sense of hope? or a sense of peace and patience, or a sense of joy that you may not have had if not for him? Or has he taken away some bitterness that had characterized your life at some point in the past? Or how about your actions? Has Jesus changed your actions in some way where if he wasn't a part of your life, the way that you acted would be different? For instance, has Jesus healed you of some destructive behaviors, such as gossip? or porn, or alcoholism, or drugs? Has Jesus shaped how you spend your money or or your time, or has has he shaped how you go about your job? That those things would be different if he wasn't a part of your life. Or how about your view of death, and the reality that each one of us at some point will die? Has Jesus shaped your perspective on that reality? You know, I hope that when we each look at our lives that we will recognize that Jesus has given us many blessings. That when we look at our lives, even though we all have different stories of how Jesus has worked in them, that we will be able to say that if not for Jesus, every part of our lives would be impoverished. Because Jesus does work all around us, and hopefully he's worked in each one of our lives in a way that we can be thankful and we can say, Jesus, you have done amazing things. I invite you to turn your Bibles this morning to Psalm 107. We are in a series right now that is called Thanks Living, which is all about cultivating a lifestyle of gratitude. In the Bible, it says that we should give thanks to God in all circumstances. So if we are to give thanks to God in all circumstances, that means that Thanksgiving is not merely one day per year that's set aside to give thanks. 
It, it means that, that our lifestyle should not be such that Thanksgiving just wells up when we have these, these feelings of gratitude when something really big happens. Instead, it means that Thanksgiving should be an entire lifestyle, that basically it's this idea of thanksgiving. That's the term we were using through this series, that it's a whole lifestyle characterized by gratitude. And thanksgiving, as we're going to see today, rejoices in God's work through all of life's ups and downs. You know, life has ups and downs. We all know that too well from experience, that there are great times and there are hard times. But through the ups and downs, God gives us many different reasons to rejoice in him. So I invite you to follow along as I read. We're going to look at this passage, unpack this idea uh, in a number of different sections. But we're going to start out looking at verses 1 through 3. Psalm 107 says, Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord tell their story. Those he redeemed from the hand of the foe, those he gathered from the lands, from east and west, from north and south. So verse 1 sets the stage for the rest of the psalm. It says, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His love endures forever. So what this means is that because God is good and because God is always loving, that no matter what is going on in our lives, we still have reason to give thanks. So that sets the stage. Verse 2 points to the theme of Psalm 107. It says, let the redeemed of the Lord tell their story. Let the redeemed of the Lord tell their story their story. Now, a question is, what does it mean to be redeemed? Well, redemption is all about rescue and renewal and restoration. It means that at some point in your life, things were not going very well. Things were bleak. Things were dreary. Things were, were maybe very troubling. You felt kind of helpless, unable to change some negative circumstances. But then came redemption in one form or another. Something came in your life to move you out of a pit of despair, out of a sense of helplessness, and brought you to a place that was much better. You were rescued. You were renewed. You were restored. And this idea of redemption is central to the idea of Christianity. It is absolutely central. You see, Christianity is not just a set of rules that we are expected to follow. Christianity is not just a, a series of how-to principles to live a happier and healthier life. Christianity is not a call to work harder in order to earn God's favor. No, Christianity in its essence is a declaration of good news. The good news is that even though we are deeply sinful and that sin separates us from God and it kills us spiritually, that God, because of his great mercy, has sent Jesus in order to pay the death penalty we deserve for our sins so that then we could be redeemed, so that we could be set free from the bonds of sin, so that then we could be restored to a right relationship with God as his sons and his daughters. That is redemption. So redemption is central to Christianity, and redemption is also central to Psalm 107. Now, Psalm 107, like I said, it's all about redemption. And, but it took place in the time of before Jesus. So you won't actually see the name Jesus anywhere in here. It's about a time of redemption for ancient Israel. Because about 500 years before the time of Jesus, Israel, because of their sin, they were carried off into exile in a foreign land. Their homeland was destroyed. It was a time of chaos and despair. But then, 
They were enabled to come back into their homeland. They were redeemed out of exile and came back into Jerusalem and the rest of Israel. It was a time of great celebration and great redemption. And that is the time frame, about 400 or so years before the time of Christ, that Psalm 107 takes place. And we see that even here in verses 2 and 3. It says, Let the redeemed of the Lord tell their story. Those he, he redeemed from the hand of the foe, those he gathered from the lands, from the east and west, from north and south. So that's referring to this, to, in an abstract way to returning from exile. Now one of the neat things as we walk through Psalm 107 is how God redeems from such a wide variety of circumstances. Let's look at some of these stories of redemption here in Psalm 107. Picking up in verse 4. It says, Some wandered in desert wastelands, finding no way to a city where they could settle. They were hungry and thirsty, and their lives ebbed away. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He led them by a straight way to a city where they could settle. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his unending love and his wonderful deeds for mankind. For he satisfies the thirsty and fills the hungry with good things. So this is describing a people who were just wandering around in confusion. They couldn't find their way. They weren't sure where they were going. They were hungry and they were thirsty. But they called out to God for help and he delivered them. Now there's another account of redemption picking up in verse 10. It says, Some sat in darkness, in utter darkness, prisoners suffering in iron chains because they rebelled against God's commands and despised the plans of the Most High. So he subjected them to bitter labor. They stumbled, and there was no one to help. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he saved them from their distress. He brought them out of darkness, the utter darkness, and broke away their chains. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds for mankind. For he breaks down gates of bronze and cuts through bars of iron. So these people, they had rebelled against God. And because of their sin, they were being punished. They were oppressed. Some of them were imprisoned. They were completely unable to do anything to help themselves. But they cried out to God for help, and he delivered them. Now there's another story of redemption picking up in verse 17. Some became fools through their rebellious ways and suffered affliction because of their iniquities. They loathed all food and drew near to the gates of death. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he saved them from their distress. He sent out his word and healed them. He rescued them from the grave. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds for mankind. Let them sacrifice thank offerings and tell of his works with songs of joy. So these people as well had turned away from God and sin, and now they were facing the consequences of their sin. They were in deep despair, but they cried out to God for help, and he delivered them. Now let's just look at one more of these episodes. Picking up in verse 23. Some went out on the sea in ships. They were merchants in the mighty waters. They saw the works of the Lord as wonderful deeds in the deep. For he spoke and stirred up a tempest that lifted high the waves. They mounted up to the heavens and went down to the depths. In their peril, their courage melted away. They reeled and staggered like drunkards. They were at their wit's end. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he brought them out of their distress. He stilled the storm to a whisper. The waves of the sea were hushed. 
They were glad when it grew calm, and he guided them to their desired haven. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds for mankind. Let them exalt him in the assembly of the people and praise him in the council of the elders. So these were people who were out on the, on the seas, in the ocean perhaps, and they were terrified because of a, of a raging storm. They were completely unable to do anything to help themselves to calm the wind and the waves. But they cried out to God for help, and he delivered them. Now the psalm does go on, but I think this gives us a good snapshot of the different circumstances from which God can redeem us. And you may have picked up on a, on a structure in each one of these stories. It's a very similar structure in each one of these. It starts out with distress because of negative circumstances. And then there's a desperate cry for help. God responds to that cry for help with divine deliverance. And then each one of these stories closes with a call for gratitude. And the call for gratitude is identical in each one. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds for mankind. And so we see that the appropriate response to God, every time we see him working, is gratitude. Gratitude to God is the appropriate response every time we see him work. It's the appropriate response every time. Imagine with me that you are watching a movie. And as you're watching that movie, you're, you're drawn to the storyline, you're following it along, you're really, really engaged, you're wondering, how's this thing going to turn out? And then about 15 minutes before the end of the movie, it shuts off. Netflix dies, your DVD malfunctions, the movie projector breaks. No matter what you do, you can't see the end of this movie at that moment. You're probably going to be frustrated, aren't you? Because you've been drawn along in the storyline, you want to know, how does this thing end? Because right now it's incomplete. Because there should come something else afterwards to help you see, okay, how does this all resolve? But you know what? If we experience good things from God, blessings from God, see God's hand at work in our lives in any sort of different, in any number of different ways, but we fail to give God gratitude and, and, and intentional thanksgiving for what we have seen him do, we are like that movie that comes to an end before it's actually done. It's incomplete. Because when we see God work in our lives or anywhere else in the world, the appropriate response is gratitude. And if we don't move from seeing God work over into expressions of gratitude, we are short-circuiting the process. We're making it incomplete. There's an interesting story over in Luke chapter 17 about 10 men who had a disease called leprosy. And leprosy is a horrible disease. I mean, it covers your whole body in boils and sores. And you'd think that would hurt a lot, but then in the process, it deadens your nerves. But that's even worse than pain because then you get body parts that are damaged and falling off and stuff like that. It's, it's, it's a mess, and it's highly contagious as well. And so lepers, back in Jesus' day, and even in some countries today, live in their own colonies. They are separated as social outcasts from the rest of society. And so back in Jesus' day, there were 10 lepers, 10 men with leprosy, who came and met him. Let me read the account for us, Luke 17, picking up in verse 11. It says, Now on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. As he was going into a village, 10 men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. 
When he saw them, he said, Go, show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. One of them, when he saw that he was healed, came back, praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. And he was a Samaritan. Jesus asked, Were not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner? Then he said to him, Rise and go. Your faith has made you well. So these ten men, they had leprosy. They were social outcasts. They didn't have much of a future at that point. But then came this amazing miracle. It redeemed their life. It was kind of like having stage four cancer. It looks very, very bad and bleak. All of a sudden you get a clean bill of health. It would be that level of redemption and life change. Or if you're a quadriplegic bound to a wheelchair, and all of a sudden you're healed and you can walk. You can take care of yourself. It's that level of life change these men experienced. They, they called out to, to Jesus for, to help them, and he healed them. And he told them, okay, go show yourselves to a priest. And they were to go towards that priest in the temple. The priest is the one who can declare them clean so they can reenter society. They were called to go before they were healed. But as they went was when the healing took place. Ten of them were healed. Only one actually came back to say thank you. And you may wonder, okay, where did the other nine go? I mean, it's not, we're not told, but you can surmise where they went. Well, they probably went to the priest, got the, the, the clean bill of health, the, the permission to reenter society. Then they're probably celebrating with family and friends. A very appropriate and justifiable response, except that they left out one thing. They forgot to say thank you. They received a priceless gift, their health, and all that came with it. But they did not go back to the giver to say thank you. Only one did. And that one experienced something amazing, a gift at least as priceless as the healing itself. And that priceless gift that one received was at least a temporary relationship with Jesus. I say temporary because it's not like he became one of Jesus' disciples who followed him around. But still, he had an interaction with Jesus that was much more intimate than any of the other nine. The summary in verse 19, Jesus tells him, Rise and go, your faith has made you well. I imagine there's probably a much more significant conversation around that. But that one man, because he came back to say thank you, not only was that the appropriate response, but he experienced a connection with Jesus the others did not have. They could be thankful for the gift, but they didn't have any real connection with the giver because they did not express their gratitude to him directly. And that's the neat thing about gratitude in our lives, is that when we express gratitude back to God, not only does it help us appreciate the gift more, but it gives us a more intimate connection with God, who is the giver. Because we can, we can enjoy gifts, but one of the main reasons that God gives us gifts is to help us draw closer to him. And gratitude enables us to do that. And if we don't express gratitude back to God, it means that the blessings that we have received are incomplete. Because remember, that when we receive blessings, the appropriate response is thanksgiving. And that's what we see back in Psalm 107. It says, Let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds for mankind. That is the appropriate response when we see God at work. Now let's look to the end of Psalm 107 to see how it concludes in verse 43. 
says, let the one who is wise heed these things and ponder the loving deeds of the Lord. So what this is saying is that if we are wise, we will take to heart what has been said in the rest of the psalm about how even when we go through hard times in life, God is faithful, that God is loving, and that that if we meditate on these things, if we heed them, if we ponder them, we will internalize them so that then when hard times come in our lives, we will still be able to maintain joy and hope and faith and even gratitude because we have internalized the truth about who God is. That is really the foundation of thanks to living. And so verse 43, this last verse, it's applying the psalm, saying take these things to heart. And it's basically asking us, okay, how are you going to live your life? Are you going to enjoy God's blessings but be half-hearted towards the giver? Or are you going to, to live in such a way that when you receive blessings, you're going to go back to him, give him thanks, and enjoy an intimate relationship with him of trust, of love, of joy, that is not dependent on circumstances, but instead is steadfast because God is always good and God's love endures forever. I mean, Psalm 107 is a call to live with thanksgiving, where our entire lives are based on this idea of gratitude. Now, it's one thing to talk about this. It's another thing to figure out, how do we actually do this in our lives? What does it look like to live with gratitude in our lifestyle? So let me give us just a few practical strategies for thanks living in our lives. One strategy, which I think is important, it's foundational, is to rejoice in the gospel daily. The gospel is a term that refers to the good news of what Jesus has done for us, that he offers us full redemption despite our sin. Full redemption and restoration with God. And the gospel not only applies when we first become a follower of Jesus, but it applies every day after that. This is why the gospel gives us a reason to be thankful every day. Because every day we can thank God that our worth is not dependent on our performance. That even if we have a bad day, even if we make a bad decision, it's God's grace that gives us value. Every single day of our lives we can thank him that even when life feels chaotic, even when the circumstances feel like they're crashing down, he is still in control. Every day of our lives, that gives us a reason to be thankful. Every day, we can thank God that we don't have to worry about other people's opinion of us. I mean, it's good to have good relationships with people around us, but other people's opinion of us is not what validates our sense of identity and well-being. Because God's opinion matters most of all, and we already know that he loves us deeply. Each day, we can thank God that our sins and our mistakes, which are inevitable despite our best efforts, that those sins and those mistakes do not have to define us. Because Jesus has already paid the penalty for those, and God offers a new start, new mercies each and every day. These are gospel truths for which we can be thankful every single day. And when we recognize these things, we turn back to God in gratitude, just as Psalm 107 calls us to. So the gospel gives us reasons to rejoice every day. And and that rejoicing in the gospel is the foundation of thanksgiving. Also, it's important that we build thankfulness into our daily routines. Now, you see this word daily again. I mean, rejoicing the gospel daily? 
build thankfulness into our daily routines. This idea of daily is crucial if we want to live with thanksgiving, where, where giving thanks is not just an occasional feeling. It's not just a, a day a year. It's not just here and there, but it's, it's a whole lifestyle. That's where daily is so important because lifestyle is lived out on a day-to-day basis. And this idea of a daily routine is where thanksgiving needs to be lived out. Routines are so powerful. I mean, when you think about it, if you were to take some time and, and examine your life, you'd probably find that every day you have over 100 routines that are just a part of your life. And you probably don't even recognize it because routines are, are relatively unconscious once they get established. They just become natural. They're a part of who you are. So much a part of who you are that if it gets disrupted at some point, it can be kind of disorienting. Because normally you're just kind of on cruise control through the routines and they just help guide you through the course of life. I think of how this last week I was eating breakfast and my daughter Tahila was sitting to my right and Shelly was, I think, fixing the kids' lunches for school. I was sitting there eating breakfast and all, all of a sudden I just let out a big sigh. And Shelly looked over at me and asked, what's wrong? You want to know what's wrong? I ate my breakfast in the wrong order. I did. My normal order of breakfast is two bowls of Cheerios, and then a fried egg with salsa, and then an apple, and then a glass of orange juice. That is my normal breakfast, day in, day out, I mean, in that order. And what happened that morning, I I got distracted. Suddenly, I finished my egg and turned to my apple and realized I'd already eaten my apple. And you may laugh, you may think that sounds trivial, but that was a routine I'm so accustomed to that then I got thrown out of that routine, and it was very disorienting. Because normally I just go right through the routine. I mean, you have a routine for so many different things in our, in our lives. And that routine just guides what I normally do just kind of unconsciously, naturally. That's the power of a routine, that you just kind of follow it naturally. Now, you may be thinking, well, that's a, that's a sizable breakfast. <laughs> One of the reasons it's a sizable breakfast is what takes place in my morning routine before that. Because every morning... I'm up early to ride a bike. Burn off calories, need more food to carry me through the morning. Now, that that bike riding is such a routine that my body will wake me up at 5 a.m. every day, even if my alarm is set a bit later. Why? Because my body has gotten into the routine of getting up at 5 a.m. to ride a bike, and I eat the breakfast and all the other stuff that comes after that. So many different aspects of routine. But it's a routine because routine gets ingrained in our unconsciousness. It becomes natural. It's just a part of who we are. And so the goal, if we want things living in our lives, is to make it a part of our daily routine so that it becomes natural. So that giving thanks to God is just ingrained in us, that it's a part of our way of life, that, that we, it does require intentionality at times, especially when building a new routine. But once it's there, it just flows naturally because it is a part of who we are. It's a part of our lifestyle. So let me give a few examples of how you can build a routine of giving thanks in your daily life. One thing that people have found helpful at times is called a gratitude journal, where every day, usually later in the day before you go to bed, you make a list in this journal of at least five things for which you are thankful from that day. And you know, the neat thing about a gratitude journal and forcing yourself to do that is that even when you've had a really hard day, it still helps you focus in and reminds you 
of many reasons to be thankful. And it can be transformative as you do it over days and weeks and months. Routines take a while to build, but once you do, it begins to reshape how you view everything. It can make you more grateful. One of the things that helps me, kind of related to a gratitude journal, but not exactly, is I have a prayer journal. It's just a basic little tiny notebook that I keep with me most of the time at home or when I'm at work. And, and frequently what I do is I just pull it out through the course of the day, and if someone comes up to pray about it, I, I, I value writing out my prayers. I like writing. It helps me. It helps me stay focused. But it helps me maintain an ongoing connection with God. And then one of the, one of the cool things in it is that it gives me an opportunity to thank God as well. Because it breaks me from my normal routine. Because normally I'm just going through my routine of the day and, you know, you can go for a long time without even thinking about praying if you aren't careful. But by stopping and actually writing out a prayer, it reminds me to pray and to thank God. And I find it especially helpful to do just before I go to bed at night. Reflect on the day. Give to God the anxieties that may be weighing on me. But also thank him for what I saw him do. Another way that you can build thanksgiving into your daily life is through prayers at mealtime. I mean, many of us pray before our meals. In your prayers before meals, may I suggest, add on a couple more things each time that you're thankful for, just from that day. It's already a daily routine you might have, but by adding on a few more things you're thankful for, it helps open your eyes to the things for which you are thankful one other practical thing, especially if you're thinking, well, I don't have time for some of these things. How about when you drive in your vehicle? Driving <laughs> these days is very much a multitasking type of experience. Hopefully you do it safely. One way to drive uh, and multitask safely and grow in gratitude is turn off that radio and pray. I found that to be very helpful, especially back when I was in seminary. I remember you turn off the radio on my drive in the, in, into the school, and, and you just use that time to pray. I usually pray out loud to keep your eyes open. That's kind of not safe if you close your eyes while driving. Just keep your eyes open and just pray out loud. Praying out loud, verbalizing your prayers helps to, um, helps to keep focused. And these days with Bluetooth, it doesn't even look strange. Back when I was in seminary, Bluetooth was not as common. And so, you know what? I feel kind of strange sometimes. You're sitting in a traffic jam in northern Chicago, and I mean, I'm sitting here by myself, mouse going, no one's in the car. Bluetooth makes it socially acceptable. But it's a way to cultivate a, a heart of gratitude by setting aside time in your daily routine to give God thanks. And as you do these things, it becomes conditioned as part of who you are. You know what? Part of who you are, part of your daily routine is giving thanks. And as we do this, as, as Thanksgiving becomes more integrated in our lives, it helps us to, to have eyes to see more and more blessings. Because there are so many blessings, so many gifts, so many good things that we just gloss right over because we don't even stop to think about how much of a blessing they are. They really are. I mean, every day, I mean, so many things. But by getting, cultivating these hearts of gratitude, it helps open our eyes to things both small and large that are blessings from God. And then we turn to God and give him the gratitude intentionally. Now, one other practical piece of advice for growing in thanks living is to express our gratitude to others. And there are a couple of angles that we can look at this idea from in terms of expressing our gratitude to others. One 
is found in verse 2 of Psalm 107, when it says, let the redeemed of the Lord tell their story. You know, we have stories of God's work in our lives, of the blessings that we have. And by telling the story to other people of the things for which we are thankful, it helps ingrain thankfulness in our minds. There's something powerful about verbalizing things. It ingrains it in our mind, and it also helps, helps it become more of a characteristic of our relationship with others. So that helps us internalize gratitude. Also in terms of expressing our gratitude to others is in terms of actually thanking people for what they do and how they are a blessing to us. Because thanksgiving not only has a vertical component with God, but also has horizontal components with the people around us. And they complement each other in helping build a lifestyle of gratitude. So my prayer for us as we grow in thanksgiving is, is that part of it will be that we grow as people who increasingly and intentionally express gratitude to those around us. That we are people who are frequently telling people thank you and explaining why we are thankful. I even think about here at church this morning. There are many people who are worthy of gratitude. I think of the worship team and the time they put in. I think of Jerry up in the AV booth. I think of the people out in the kitchen right now preparing food for us for after the service. I think of the ushers and the greeters and all the Sunday school teachers and the financial recorders who count the offering after the service. All people who are serving in various ways. How often do we thank them? Because if we are living lives of thanksgiving, it'll flow through us. Not only vertically, but also horizontally in helping to cultivate gratitude as an entire lifestyle. So Psalm 107 calls us, let us give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds for mankind. You know, life has many challenges. We all know that. We live in a broken world. So many times things don't go the way we want them to. They don't meet our expectations. They let us down. And and what can easily happen in those times is that we start to drown in the sea of, of doubt, of discouragement, of disillusionment, Maybe you have anger and frustration. But gratitude, as we're drowning in that sea of those emotions, is like throwing a life preserver in that we can grab a hold of. And it helps pull us up out of that despair and that, 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 that anger, that, that doubt, and helps us cling to God. Because in gratitude, we turn back to him and we have our eyes open. You know what? Even amidst these, these challenges, I have many blessings. And God, I'm going to thank you for those blessings. Let's remember the call in Psalm 107, verse 1. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. Let's pray. Our Father, you are good, and we thank you that your love endures forever, even in the midst of our frailty and our sinfulness, that your love endures. So we say thank you. Lord, I pray this, this thanksgiving that we will be expressing this week will not be confined to one day or one week, but that from here on out, for as long as we live on this earth, that our hearts will be filled with increasing levels of gratitude, that we will be intentional to build gratitude into our lives as a daily routine, that it will become second nature to us, day in, day out, that we will be very quick to give you thanks and praise when we see you work around us. We know that you're at work every day, even through the hardships. You give us reasons to be thankful. And so, Lord, we thank you that you're a faithful God 
and that you're a loving God. You give us so many reasons for hope and joy and gratitude through the ups and the downs of life. We thank you in Jesus' name.